Hello, legends, and welcome to the show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I'm catching up with Jeff Fennick, the greatest boxer that's ever come out of our amazing country, and Cub member Paul Fitzgerald, the founder and CEO of Barking Dog Marketing. Paul and Jeff are working together. Paul is promoting Jeff's incredible story. So Jeff has a platform to share the great lessons he's he's had in his life and career, which is exactly what we're doing on today's episode. We're going to be discussing the correlations between business and boxing. And we're going to learn the lessons of Jeff's career and how that relates to the entrepreneurial journey. Jeff speaks about his relationships with famous Australian business people like Kerry Packer, Mark Boris, and many more, and how they loved boxing and, and, and related to it, as well as many, many more incredible stories uh, like going to the Olympics, winning world titles. I had a brilliant time at catching up with Jeff and, and Paul, so I hope you enjoy the show. And we're live. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Very good, very good. Uh, just so the listeners know, I'm sitting here with Cub member Paul Fitzgerald, the founder and CEO of Barking Dog Marketing, and someone I'm very excited to have met for the first time today, Jeff Fennick, Australia's greatest ever boxer. As a as a big fight fan, um, I'm very happy to have you here today, Jeff, and, and of course you, you, Paul. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you very much. I'm proud to be representing Barking Dog because they're, they're looking after me, they're managing me, and I'm very, very excited about our, our team and their, what we're doing, what we're creating has been very, very great. Incredible, guys. I'm excited to have you today. And, and um, really what I want to do today is zone in on the similarities between boxing and uh, fighting and business because, uh, as we were saying before, Jeff, they're – Incredibly yeah. similar. Well, people don't realise how similar they are. I mean, um, all the work ethics you do to be a successful businessman, you've got to have the same to be a successful sportsman. I mean, you've got to work hard. You've got to prepare preparations, everything. And um, if you don't prepare, um, you don't you don't succeed. And it's the same as in business. Um, you know, I'm a strong believer in. Um, I was never. I never woke up Tuesday morning and thought, "What will I do today?" Um, Monday night, I had a little. Pad and paper, and I knew everything that I was going to do on Tuesday. So, um, you know, I there was no there was no time that was going to be wasted. I knew exactly what I had to do for the day, and I mean, I think that's uh, the secret to success in, in in business and and sport. Yeah, that preparation. That's because boxing is a lot of strategy as well, and then of course there's the the mental toughness and and I guess mental strength that that comes into it. Yeah, definitely. So, like, I I love being on. Podcasts or talking in interviews because people always say, "Wow, Jeff Fennick had this massive heart." Now my heart's the same size as everybody else's. It was that I was mentally prepared. I'd gone through the the anguish, the pain, then I knew what I was going to go through. So I mentally prepared myself for it. I mean, my heart don't tell me what to do. My mind tells me what to do. <laughs> don't ever believe them. Um, nothing comes from the heart. I mean, it's first from there, then from the heart. I don't care what person. I hear it every day. I hear all these great. People saying, oh, this guy had a big heart. No, our hearts are all the same. Mm-hmm. Dissect us, they're the same, mate. Um, <laughs> just just know the, the work ethic you've done and, and, what, and what it took to get you there and then that's the plan. If you if you work hard and you know you've done it before, you can do it again. That doesn't come from the heart. That comes from the head. And before we jump into it all, um, I guess you you had quite an incredible career because as we are just saying, you, 
you uh, uh, were the champion at three different – so you were th- the champion of three different weight divisions, is that correct? Yeah, I was um, world champion in three different weight divisions and until last year or, uh, I held the record for 30-odd years. It was the quickest to ever do that. Lomachenko, wow, until just last year. Yeah, yeah. So Lomachenko just broken my record and but um, he's lost in his – I'd never – I was undefeated. And like, people don't realise like I was the undefeated bantamweight champion of the world, the undefeated super bantamweight champion of the world, the undefeated featherweight champion of the world. I'd never lost my title in the, in the ring. Of course I lost a couple of fights after that but they were they were like going up in weight. So I was undefeated world champion in every one of my weight divisions I was world champion in. And what, what do you think – is it a big – it's a massive difference when you go up a weight division, isn't it, at that level of boxing. Does that – does, you know, the weight how – how, how far apart of the weight division? Yeah, it's only like – Three or four pounds every time you move up, and it's it's, it's but three or four pounds. You is, can is, feel it. Can of you? course you can. as you go up and as you go up and keep going up, it gets harder each time. But um, for me, like I said, it was just um, I was naturally growing. I was, you know, what when I went to the Olympics in nineteen eighty four, I, I fought at fifty one kilos. Mm. My first world title was being weight at, at one hundred and hundred and eighteen pound. My second world title was at one hundred and twenty two pound. My third world title was at one hundred and twenty six pound. Then when I fought Azuma Nelson in Vegas, that was one hundred and thirty pounds. So um, yeah, it's not a huge step up, but when you're losing weight, when you've got to cut weight, four pounds is a lot of weight. It's to, a lot of know, weight. Wow, to that's a that's a a good meal and stuff that you you usually miss out on in a <laughs> and some um, liquid fluid that you you haven't had for a couple of days you know and I want to get into all that but before I do um like many boxers I I, I believe you came from a similar background you weren't given the most opportunity or you didn't have the most opportunities uh, as as a child I believe you had a really strong family and and um, uh, look um my dad was sick all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I maybe during a year I spent as much time at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital visiting my dad than we did doing anything else. My mum worked three jobs. And, um, my mum worked in the morning. She worked in the middle of the day when we were at school. She came home and cooked for us and in, in the night she'd go back and, and she was a cleaner. She would work and there were, there were nights that we would all go and help her and stuff. But no, um, yeah, certainly didn't um, – Get nothing for nothing. Everything that I got, I worked hard for. And like I said, I've made some mistakes in life, but um, I grew up doing things that I got accustomed to. And I thought that, you know, that was life. You know, if um, somebody had something that I wanted, you'll take it. Yeah. I, you know, well, I'd, I'd find a way to to, 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 to receive it. And didn't, it wasn't always paying for it. It wasn't always, you know, working for it. So, but that was just, that was life. And where I came from, everybody done it was dog eat dog, you know. Yeah. And you grew up in Marrickville, yeah? Yeah, well, I really grew up in St. Peter's. I okay. grew up in St. Peter's and then I moved to Maryville, but very, very close. But, uh, yeah, St. Peter's, New Down, Erskineville, they were all tough areas. And, um, you know, I um, never forget, like, growing up being the son of a migrant family and I was a wog, you, wog. And oh, where's your family from? My parents are from Malta. Really? Yeah, so we, um, so we, yeah, when, and we grew up around a lot of Aboriginals and some of them, and them, although they're my great friends as we grew up. But yeah, well, I, I was brand this yeah, little wog and they would, we'd fight every day. So I was blessed but I had three older brothers so I was always protected and two older sisters so I was protected and them. But yeah, it, it, it certainly wasn't an easy upbringing. And what do you think separate – why do you think you're different to other people in similar circumstances? How How is it that you had the – the will or the, I don't even know what you'd call it, but how did you become the, the Marrickville Mauler yeah, eventually? Well, I'm, I'm happy you, you asked me that because I honestly believe that certain people are born with certain things and we don't always find what we're born to be good at. I was blessed to 
find boxing by accident in, 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 in a youth club, but I never went there to box. I went there to have a fight and I walked past the boxing room. But I believe in this, like I said, um, my life story is being written and getting, and getting done at the moment. And for some reason, all these producers and all these people want to put these crazy scenes in where you're out partying and people are doing drugs and cocaine and everything else. I've never done it in my life. I mm. hung around with people 365 days of the year that smoked marijuana when I was a young boy. They'd go and buy um, a foil and smoke and they'd get a, a orange juice bottle and they'd go and cut somebody's hose from the front and they would, they would share a bomb. I would never even – I couldn't dream of putting a, a bottle full of dirty mm. shit water in my mouth after <laughs> something like just me. So I'd never done it. I'd, I've, never, I've never had a drug in my life. So I try to explain to these – people that, that are doing my movie, listen, can't we try to make this that somebody was able to say no? Isn't this the message that we really want to get across to people? Not that we all went out and enjoyed ourselves and done cocaine, that somebody could say no and me. I've never done a drug in my but life. Why? What, I, what, what, what was going on in your head where you were like, that's not what I'm interested in? Did you have a goal? Like was it, oh, I want to be a boxer? No, I, well, no, no, I didn't. But of course, I, of course I had goals, but I just I didn't want to be like everybody else. And not that I want, I thought that I was this super leader, mm. but I didn't want to be a follower. I, wanted to, I, I was able to sit there every, every single day. I don't lie here. I said 365 days of the year because I doubt it every day. I, I would sit there while they'd all smoke and pass it around and I wouldn't do it. Just mm-hmm. It didn't interest me. I've never had a smoke in my life. I've never had a coffee in my life. I've never had a drug in my life. And it, well, Laura, Laura asked, should, should we offer them a coffee before we come? I said, no, it's a bit late. Lucky we didn't. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just would have said no, but it's all great. <laughs> and and um, so you found a PCYC uh, gym or, or centre? Yeah, I went to uh, Newdown PCYC one day with a, f- a group of friends because we wanted to bash a couple of guys up. Yeah. They weren't there as we searched the whole – yeah, we, the rest oh, so you the went room. there looking for yeah, the guys because yeah, you, you wanted to fight. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, we went through all the rooms: wrestling room, weight room, basketball. There was nobody there. And the last room we looked up was upstairs, had boxing on it. And I looked, there was nobody in there. But I seen a friend of mine from school who was boxing. I sat there, and the rest is history, you know. So, and like I said, but the one thing that you did, you did bring up: did I set myself goals? No, I didn't know. I didn't know about goal setting. But my trainer at the time, who was Johnny Lewis, yeah, that after that first day, and, and, and he watched me get beat up, really. He said, Jeff, you've got this potential. And my first message was potential. I just got beat up. But he's seen something that I didn't know about. And um, at that stage I didn't really believe him, but I didn't want to not go back there because I got beat up. And I thought if I don't go back there, my friends are going to think, ah, you got beat up, you won't go back there. So I went back there and I listened and um, slowly, slowly those little goals that he set me were um, starting to come to fruition and I – had a fight and I won. Then I went to the state title and then all of a sudden I was Australian champion. I've never been on a plane to travel in my life. <laughs> I'm going to Tasmania and this and that. I'm having fights and it was it was crazy. And then all these little things start coming true and he said to me that if you keep working hard, you know, the Olympics were in 84. I started boxing at the end of 81 and I just become Australian champion. There were Olympic trials and stuff. He said, if you keep working hard and doing what you're doing, you could – he go to the Olympics. Me, I played. Still was mixing rugby league with boxing, and I just um, dedicated myself to the sport of boxing. Then, and wow, I went to the World Cup in Rome. And after only like fourteen or fifteen amateur fights, I came third in the world. Mm, and yeah. I do want to talk about the yeah, Olympics. But, yeah, yeah, never heard of. And then I went to the Olympics after twenty five fights. Just think of this: <laughs> I'm fighting guys who had a three hundred and two hundred fights, and I'm beating them. And then I am, um, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I come home after winning. 
the fight that got me into the medals. So I guaranteed a medal now to coming home with nothing because the first time in Olympic boxing history they have a jury and the jury overturned my decision. Who are the jury? The judges say who wins or loses. But this was the first time in history that they took – it was just a party for these guys. They took a judge and a jury team and the jury said I lost, of course, and the judges said I won. So, And I do want to – I want to dive into the Olympic um, story because I know it's quite an interesting one as well. But once you, once you kind of um, realise, wait, shit, I like boxing – and I feel good at this. What was the thing that motivated you to want to excel at it and, and do good? Did you want to help your family? Was it for self-fulfillment? Was it, did you like the, you know, what, what was it that drove you to, to, to keep training? Because boxing training is the hardest training you yeah, can do. Yeah, well, definitely I, I loved the, the one-on-one clash with this little guy that somebody's my size and weight where I can, and I can prove that I'm better than anybody. Mm. But the other thing was that um, I had this team around me that I – Dearly and richly loved my trainer, Johnny Lewis, and uh, of course um, the rest of the people who were involved with me, a man by the name of Greenlee Keys, who was a uh, writer for the Daily Telegraph back then and still is a writer up in Brisbane now. And all these guys were like putting all this faith in me and telling me that I could do this. And every time I'd do it, it was like – it wasn't a party, but it was, um, it was this amazing feeling of satisfaction and love that, I'm, that I was able to, to share with everybody and I was giving everybody – this amazing period of happiness, and I loved it. I loved winning. I loved winning more for those people than I did for myself. Because it was a group celebration. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I was doing what people thought that I I could never do, Mm. and I was doing what people said that I could do. So Mm. it was was a crazy balance there, you know. But, um, yeah, it was an amazing time in my life. Did you ever feel too much pressure from those around you, or how did you handle that? Because obviously people wanting you to do well, they're counting on you. Was that was that difficult? Uh, I, mean, I don't even think. But the more pressure, the better I, yeah. I perform. That's how I felt. Yeah. Tell me what you want me to do now. I can do it. I just I, th- I thought I was invincible. I thought I could walk on water. And these days, I always I have a little saying that I can walk on water. And people say, "How can?" So I just get a glass of water, I pour it on the floor, and I walk on it. <laughs> That's as close as I've ever got to it. But um, yeah, I am. Um, you know, I just thought that. Yeah, I just thought that. And at that stage, you got to realize that I'd boxed for, like when I went to the Olympics. I'd boxed for two years. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, yeah, I boxed, I'm fighting people. It's outrageous. Like, oh, when, yeah. you, when you read boxing stories, oh, when did you start? Oh, six, seven, five, four. I started at 17 and a half. You know, um, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story. And then oh, you started boxing when you were 17. 17, yeah, yeah. Jeez. So I never boxed in my life. I never put a glove in my life. I never knew nothing about boxing. But then, but Just then your the, knuckles. But then the craziest story is that I was able to have all this success with the tools of my trade. Um. Damaged. Mm. I mean, you tell me uh, an Olympic runner who won a race with a broken I've, I fought with broken hands mm. on on so many occasions. I couldn't tell you when I had my hand op- surgery. Oh yeah, when yeah. I had my hand operations from Dr. Bruce Shepard, he would say to me, Jeff, I don't know how you how you can fight. You can you can't make your fist. How do you fight? How do you punch these guys? But again, it was all mental preparation. It was all all, all stuff that I'd been through before. And although I went through this pain where I'd urinate blood and be crying after fights through the pain that I am. Um, I got after the fight. I was still able to control that pain and and control my mental um, space while I was in the ring. I'd love to to really focus on the mental aspect of boxing. Then now, J- just that. Imagine fighting with 
two broken hands or one broken hand, that's serious mental strength. Yeah, just imagine you're going out to fight the best fighters in the world, you know, yeah. and your hand's broken. Yeah. And Did that make you nervous though? Were you like, uh, oh shit, I'm going to no, get no, bashed because no, no, I've got but, broken but hands? Like, but you can see in some of my fights where I'll, I'll use one hand for like the majority of the fight. You can see in some fights where I, I kind of punch and miss on purpose and hit him with my <laughs> elbow or hit him with my forearm, you know, but it's it. You I, I, I had to do it. That, that's what my – Conscious told me to do. My head told me to do. It. My heart didn't tell me that. I knew what I had to do to yep. to survive, and that that all comes from the head. And when you're training, you're training the body, obviously, because you you get the body in shape. But how do you train the mind to withstand such pressure, such um, the ability to just blunt something so you don't feel it? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a great example. Paul Paul hasn't spoken yet, but I'm going to give you a great example that in 1985, in 196 days from me being amateur professional. I fought for the world title in my seventh fight. People who went to the Olympics in 84 were Evander Holyfield, Meldrick Taylor, um, Pernell Whitaker, Mark Breland, Briggs, all those gold medalists that went more gold medals than we all went to the same Olympics. I was the fastest guy to, to win a world title. I beat him by years. Mm-hmm. I won in 196 days. And the biggest question was prior to me fighting was how can he fight? He's going to fight all his fights. He's been finishing six or seven rounds, two rounds, one round. Now in his seventh fight, he's got to fight 15 rounds against the world champion. And all the Australians, ex-champions, were all, uh, he can't do 15 rounds. You know, done 15 rounds that many times in the gym. It was, I knew. So again, I had it in my head. I've done this before. They question, what do you mean? They don't even know what I've done. They don't train with me. They don't work with me. They don't know what I've got put my my body through without them there. They're just negative because they haven't seen me. I've done it before. They, oh, it's not the same. Of course it's the same as a fight. You simulate a fight in sparring. So, I mean, I'd done it before and I was ready to. My mental – nobody was mentally t- – nobody was mentally tougher than Jeff Fennick. I've just been watching Michael Jordan's thing, The Last Dance. And yeah, it's pretty mate, good. Huh? You, well, as much as I love it, it really reminds me so much of myself because that's how I was. <laughs> when I was a skinny little football player, I'd fight with my friends. I'd – I'd I'd cry when we'd lost. I'll never forget in one of our biggest games, what, a, 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 uh, one of my best friends who's gone on to play first grade for years, I won't mention his name, but we were getting killed by Belmain and he's, I'm doing all these tackles on Blooney. Jeff, Jeff, relax, mate. We're not going to – man, I, f- I feel like punching him in the head, at, you know, yeah. in the in, in the in goal line because he's telling me not to, to, to stop trying because we're going to lose. I, I never stopped trying. Yeah, I'm, you're I'm, a winner. Yeah, you want to yeah, win. yeah. Yeah, and even, but even when I lost, I still wanted to give it my 110%. Mm. And, Deb, Paul, you uh, obviously have created a podcast and because and Jeff's just got such an incredible story and an incredible lessons from his career and life. What's your uh, plan with, with uh, what you're going to do with the story? You're obviously getting out there with the podcast. What else? Sure, sure. There? Well, not a lot of people realise just how great Jeff Finnick was. Um, every WBC featherweight belt, is given out to this day. It's got a picture. It's got Jeff Fennick's picture on it as, as one of the best <laughs> featherweights awesome. in the history of the WBC. Um, and Jeff's probably just as famous in America as what he is here in Australia. And a lot of the great Without champions, Holyfield, you know, Tyson, Floyd Mayweather, all these guys look up to, to Jeff Fennick mm. because of his, his toughness, his ability to win. His first 20 pro fights, he already won three uh, world titles in three different weight divisions. Mm. Just incredible statistics that will probably never be repeated. As Jeff said, I mean, that was broken last year by Lemonchenko. It stood for 30 years. Um, and he's never lost one of his world title. But So we just need to get the Jeff, the Jeff Fennick story um, out there, people to realise just how great a champion we have in Jeff Fennick. Um, and the thing that I, that I want to do more than anything is I want business people to know that my story. And I want not, not just sporting people, but I want people to know that 
if you work hard and you believe in yourself, there's 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 success and victory for all of us. And, you, and victory isn't always coming first. Victory is about giving your best. It's about trying your best at everything you do. And then you're victorious. You don't care if you win or lose, I mean, although it's important. But no, you know, if you know that you've given your best, you can go home, you can celebrate, you can you, you can go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. If you go out and you think, wow, I could have done better and I and I came second, then you're gonna you're gonna have a sleepless night. But if you know when you came second on that occasion that you gave your everything, you're gonna sleep beautifully that night. And sometimes when you lose, you win because like using the Olympics example for you, right? You you it's it's known you were robbed that that thing. And then that were you disappointed? Do you want to tell us? Uh, I guess how anyway, you felt let, after. Let that? me just tell you what, you wanna... say, what you're saying. So so true. Of course, I got I got robbed of the Olympics. Totally robbed through political. Yeah, but it forced something good. Yeah, yeah, but but it made me hungrier. Mm. And like I said, the greatest things that ever happened to Jeff Fennick weren't winning my three world titles. It was when I lost. Mm. Because when I lost, I learned more about who I was and more about what I really represent than I ever did when I won because when I won, everybody was around me. When I lost, I had plenty of time to sit there and think about being on my own because the people weren't around me and I think, why? And I learned, yeah, I learned so much more about who I was and what I represent and what winning and losing does for you. Losing taught me some great lessons. Winning never taught me anything. Yeah. Winning, winning made me love winning and but it never taught me things. Losing made me really um, be the person I am today. And I'm, let me tell you something, I've made some mistakes in my life, but if anybody needs some great advice, needs some help and they need their business to to, to flourish, or they need their, their son to, to get a good lesson, don't take it. When you're just bringing them my house, I guarantee your son will leave or your business will be 20 times better when, mm-hmm. when I finish speaking yeah, to you it, guys. It's the hard times that make you stronger. Times like this right now that a lot of business people are going through. Oh, definitely so. It's, it's about – Uniting and, and doing the same thing, but wanting ha- having the same goal. If we all want the same goal, this this can be finished very very soon. But we have some crazy people that think we're a little better than anybody else, or think that I can't be hurt or I can't get sick. Listen, last year I was three hours away from death, mm. and now I appreciate life a little more than I did then. Or, or I just look at life this way now. Listen, you can die at any time, at any stage. You can be the fittest guy in the world. You can be the strongest guy in the world. You can have the most money in the world. When you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. I'm blessed I've got a second chance. I'm here to tell my story, to, to live my life to the fullest and to make sure that I let everybody else know that this is how you're supposed to live life. Don't don't take things for granted. I'm no bigger or better than anybody else. I just worked hard and I had a, a dream and I had some goals and I was able to achieve them through hard work. So through hard work and through being who we want to be, we can we can be the best we can be. We can have the best. We can all have the best life ever. You don't have to win to have the best life. You don't have to have the most money to have just the have best life. You have to try. Life. You got exactly right. You got to just have that. You got to have a, a great set of morals. And, and let me tell you, the greatest thing you need ever you need to have good people around you. Mm. And you know what? I'm going to just say this to you. At this stage in my life, I got the greatest team. Forget team. I got the greatest group of friends in my life. Paul Fitzgerald's one of them. Mark Boris is one of them. Joe Molinari's. I've got these people who I who are much older than me. And, and, and some young, but that I love being around. My life's so, so much better than I think about all those guys who were around me when I was just world champion, undefeated, giving them everything, paying for everything, and everywhere we went we got everything for nothing. No, I don't like that person. Mm. I love who I am today. Yeah. Well, I mean, I fully agree with the it's who you surround yourself with. In fact, that's what, as you guys know, that's what I do for work. I We're a network for for um, entrepreneurs and business leaders to, to help each other 
go to the next stage to surround but, themselves with others on the same path. But so. again, you can get the greatest business leader in the world and go and talk to some kids. But but can you relate to it? I've been there. I've mm. been. I've been. I've had nothing. I've you know. I've, I've been with a. I trained Kerry Packer. I travel the world with Kerry Packer. And tell us. Jay. Tell us about that. I mean, tell what, us about that. What can I tell you? Except the most amazing experience being with a guy who. Wow, who loved being around me because he mm. loved he loved my story. I mean, Kerry Packer loved the Jeff Fennick story. Oh, Jeff Fennick was one of Kerry Packer's. But do you think he related because you're both fighters? He, he was. Love, he of course, was, he's a fighter. Yeah. He would love to. Have, he would love to have lived my life. He would love yeah. to, to, to do what Jeff Fennick did. Oh, you know, would I have loved to do what Kerry Packer done? Yes and no. You know, but I mean, there, there are some entrepreneurs out there that would love Mark Burros. I love the guy. My one of the great greatest things that ever happened to me was I did Celebrity Apprentice and I met Mark Boros. When I talk about motivators and people who can make you feel that you can run a one minute K or climb the highest, Mark Boros can give you that. Let him talk to you. Mm-hmm. He can motivate you that way. And like I said, I'm, I'm blessed at this stage in my life. I've got a great like I don't want to say it here, but I've got a great group of friends around me. You know, yeah, we're, we're yeah we're a team, but I'm just thinking that we're. Yeah, we're just people that are in everybody's team. We're, I'm in I'm in your team today. I'm in your team today because I'm trying to help you and promote your business. And I'm trying to thank you. Pr- apart from Brazil, um, you're giving me a platform to to talk, and hopefully people are going to listen and think, "Wow, what a great experience I had today listening to this podcast." You know, I can promise you they will. Uh, well, I hope I so. But I mean, like this <laughs> podcast, some of them go a little long and stuff, and I don't know if people have the you know the the mental power to just sit there for an hour. But listen. Cut it up in the little, the, the most important things that we're saying, and I think this is for me been very, very powerful. That I'm, I'm so honoured to be being able to share my story, and you giving me the opportunity to share it. No, no, I'm, I'm, I, as you, as I said, I'm a huge fan and a huge fight fan, so yeah. I wanted to, to have you here. But uh, the business and boxing, it's just that they're almost. The, they're almost the same they thing. They both start with B? Yeah, that, that, that's a start. <laughs> wow. That's a start. But they, they, they're almost the same thing. I mean, what was Kerry Packer like? like what, was his, what was it that allowed you guys to connect as a fighter and, a, and as a businessman? Well, we um, – well, Other was, than the, well, the lack of punching. Yeah, well, he was a – he loved sport. He, he, you know, he, he owned a TV station. He was a mad cricket fan. He was, you know, he, I was one of his favourite sporting um, mm. people. Stars. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then he became one of my favourite people because he taught me so much. Just sit with him, listen to him, and uh, uh, you know, to be on a plane with him, to watch him gamble. You know, <laughs> to, to watch. Wow, it was like the most. One of the bizarre or most interesting thing you've ever seen when you there think goes ten million dollars. Well, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> or, or he comes ten, or there he goes without without him even blinking on it. Not that he's got it, but I mean, you know, yeah, he 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 exactly calculated. He, he had the preparation. He knew what he was going in for, and he, of course, he wasn't stupid. He knew how much he could afford to win, how much mm. he could afford to lose, and it was a plan. There, he wasn't stupid. This guy went there. Totally calculated on what he was going to do, how he was going to play, and what he could afford to win, what he could afford to lose, or yeah. And what do you think um, the greatest lessons that well, – what's a lesson you learned from Kerry that you think has, has impacted and benefited your life? Well, obviously – And also vice versa. What no, is the lesson no, well, he got no, from you? Well, you can't ask him that because yeah. he's no longer yeah. – but look, the, the, one of the great lessons I got from him was that uh, it doesn't matter how rich – well, I'll, I'll give you an example. So 
I was blessed to have taken a lot of my friends on the on his private plane that would never even been on a plane, couldn't afford to go, and he asked me to take some friends to, to Vegas. And, you know, when people try to be nice to people and they talk to you, they say, oh, you know, you'll be sitting down, we'll all be around the table having a, a drink or something to eat. You know, Mr Packer, you know, money isn't everything. You know, everybody, you know, oh, money isn't everything. And I love these answers. He said, son... It's quite obvious you fucking haven't had it. <laughs> he, he, was was just, he was just a truthful <laughs> man. He wasn't going to say, you know, yeah, yeah, great, mate. Oh, yeah, I'll give you all mine. You know, but no, he just was an honest guy who, who yeah. made yeah. the most sense out of being honest and what saying things that you just that were just the truth. That that was the answer. And that's why I love Kyle Sandilands. Well, that's why mm. when I first fell in love with his radio show was because. Somebody would ask him a question and it wasn't that he had to think or what – he would just say it the way it was and that's why he's got so many fans mm. um, because – Yeah, he's honest. He's yeah, who he is. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. And, and that's how Mr Packer was, although he was, you know, the richest man in Australia and maybe the biggest gamer in the world. He was just Mr Packer when you met him. He wasn't yeah, – he didn't want nothing special, or no favours. Well, I, I think that's, that could be why a lot of super successful people that excel at whatever their craft is – are who they are. They're, they're very honest. They're, they're just they're not worried about trying to be liked or trying to be what others want them to be. They they, they know what they want and they just fucking go and do that. Mm. And that's why a lot of them come across as like, oh, he's a bit strange. Arrogant. Yeah, yeah, but they're yeah. not. They're just being themselves. They're being honest. Yeah. And and Jeff uh, and Paul, I'm sure you could probably relate to this too because I definitely can. When when so the Olympics happened, and I do want to know what the feeling is like to represent your country. Actually, can we start with that? What's it like representing your country on the on the on the Olympic stage, the biggest stage yeah. that that has ever existed? Well, well like I said earlier, just imagine coming from St. Peter's. <laughs> um, it's amazing. The the furthest I'd gone overseas was was uh, to Manly by, <laughs> by by ferry, and I didn't pay for that. I would have snuck onto the ferry without doubt. So you know, so um, yeah, that was the only time I'd ever been overseas, and then all of a sudden. Um, to be mentioned that if I win these fights, if I keep continuing, I was going to go to the Olympics. My, my whole neighbourhood, they were all so supportive of me. I, they would do raffles for me to help me travel and to make sure that I had things that other people had. So I was blessed in a way that um, I don't know that the community all got behind me. And Is it a big sense of pride? Like, wow, I'm I'm showing off. My flag, my country. You know, so I'm going to say this. I'm not even sure if I should say it or should. Or if you definitely should. Well, right. So the richest organisation in the world is the Catholic Church, huh? Mm-hmm. They've got so much money. But they take money from the poor. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother going to church every day and giving us some coins that she wouldn't that we, she wouldn't have, but she would give all of us. She had six kids to put some money in their plate. I'm not sure if my brother's done this. I just made the noise. So I put that 20 cents back in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. I made the, But I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, – is the richest organisation in the world and they take money from the poor, you know. Mm. I mean, I just I just don't really – Well, yeah, I'm not sure what that represents. I mean, uh, you know, of course it represents that how beautiful these poor people are and what I'm trying to – the message I'm trying to get across was here was me in the, in the poorest neighbourhood, a poor suburb, but every time I needed to find some money or needed some help to get on a plane, the whole – community got behind me. We sold raffle tickets. They mm. brought prizes. I had um, businesses that would donate things to me then we'd sell raffle tickets. So I'm just kind of, you know, we live in a really, really funny world that yeah, I, don't, I don't know what to say about it, you know. And and the – so the feeling of after you got robbed, right, of the of the win, 
can you describe that for us? Because And where I want to go with this is what that forced you to do because I know that it, it forced you to turn pro, didn't well, it? Well, I can describe it in, yeah. in, in, in an amazing um, answer because the most amazing thing is, first of all, you get selected to go to the Olympic Games. The most amazing experience of the Olympics, apart from competing, is when you when you march and if you're on to – I couldn't march. When you walk, when you, you and when you do the walk, when yeah. we get introduced, I couldn't go to the introduction. I had to fight on on the first day, and I had to lose so much weight that I couldn't put my suit and stuff on because I was too weak. I had to lose weight. So my my priority was, of course, I was so proud. I would have loved to have marched and let everybody see me on TV. But my priority was to try to win a gold medal for Australia, winning. which was never done. Yeah, exactly, it was winning, and that was the only thing for me, which um, you know, was back then, and then. After you compete, the best thing about any Olympic Games is the after party because there's a million squilling <laughs> girls and yeah. there's pretty much the best thing about anything. <laughs> yeah. And I never went to that either because I was so disappointed and pissed off that they robbed me. I got on a plane the next day and went home and I said, if they don't let me win a gold medal, I'm going to win a world title. That was my that was my description as I'd done my last interview mm-hmm. as I got on a plane to go home. When I think of it, then I think, what a dickhead you are. You could have... <laughs> no, I think, amazing, right I think you made the right choice. I'm not worried about but I could have went to this amazing after party and party with all the gymnasts with yeah. everybody <laughs> and, and, and did what – but for me it wasn't about the march, although I would have been proud to do that, and it wasn't about the after party. It was all about winning. That's all I, that's all I wanted to do. That's why when I tell the story about listening to Michael Jordan, The Last Dance. You listen, relate. Listen, listen, tell me, who else would have done that? Yeah. Nobody. I had my other friends from the Olympics that lost in similar circumstances. They never got on a plane and went home. I went home because I never went to the Olympics to to have an after party. I never thought of – I went to the Olympics to try to be the first person ever to win a gold medal in boxing in Australia after 24 fights. Also, I think that you believed and know that you were going to win. You knew you were going to win and maybe other people didn't. So when they ah, lost, they were like, oh, whatever, oh, no, I'm party. Oh, you oh, were like, no, no, I'm winning. Oh, no, well, nobody thing. gave me a chance of winning, nobody. But, um, but you did. Well, of course. That's, Which is that's the important what, Well, that's what I went there for. Yeah. Whether I, again, like, it's like I said, whether I won or lost, when you know you've tried your best, I'm going to go home and sleep and then I could have partied amazingly. But um, And then you, so you go pro, you go win a world title and then you beat the guy who won the Olympics. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I fought the gold medalist there in my, I mean, maybe 13th or 14th professional fight. And, yeah, and you, you won. Know, yeah, and, well, I had a broken hand when I fought him. I knocked, <laughs> I knocked him out. I, I stopped him in the 14th year and he was a great fight. He was a great, yeah. His name was Stephen McCrory. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I did beat him. And like I said, does that mean I would have won a gold medal? To me, no. But it, but it it vindicated the Australian public in Community that said I was robbed of the opportunity to win it. The Olympic by, revenge. By, by beating him was was, yeah, was you Olympic proved, You proved yourself. Yeah. You said, hey, no, no, I was going to win. I, well, I won that. I yeah. could have. Well, we never know what happens on that day. Of you know? course. Yeah, so a fight's a fight. I'm, anyone, I'm this kind of guy, like I said, um, I, I give credit to people who – I never won a gold medal. Yeah. So until I won, until I won, I wouldn't have said that. So you know, yeah. that's just me. Yeah. And and I mean, Paul, that's the 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 bad things causing good things. I'm a big believer in that, and that's a big thing that gets me, especially in business, out of tough times. I'm always like, fuck yeah, this is mad because something good's going to happen because I'm going to learn. I mean, have you yourself with the business experienced that that swing that that well, what's, negative um, to positive? What's interesting is, especially in uh, in tough times, brands is what survives so people with the strongest brands tend to mm-hmm. uh, perform best during tough times. during tough times so yeah. even if you look at boxing these days the biggest you know and the highest money earners in boxing have got the biggest brands the floyd mayweather 
you know, the Oscar De La Hoya's. <laughs> the Ryan Garcia, yeah, who's Ryan making Garcia. more yeah, money Ryan through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, through yeah. shampoo commercials. Yeah, well, whatever, whatever <laughs> it may be. But, like, you know, for me, I couldn't have even dreamed of that. I just thought that my, my fists do the talking. That's mm. that's that's why I, I was, one, was one of these guys who I never even stared at my opponent. You did I was, oh, was, was going to ask you that. And I just was telling Paul a story yeah. yesterday. When I fought Samar, the great the great Samar Pekaroon, who was the WBC Subbanaweight champion yep. who had just knocked out two of the best Mexicans prior to fighting me, and when I went out there and, and he gave me the stare, I looked straight down so I didn't look at him. What do, I, what do you think I look at? I look at it, he's got Reebok boxing boots on the same as mine that I'd given to somebody who had given them to him. So he's wearing boots. <laughs> that I'd, your boots. Like, I'm thinking. You're mine now. Well, this is a little strange. <laughs> I, like, so I don't usually swear. I said, where do you get those boots from? Then I, I put it all together. And so my mind, like, stopped thinking about the fight for a week. I'm like, they're my boots. <laughs> that's where I was looking. But <laughs> Drop this man. Was able to, was able, yeah, <laughs> was able to get back on track and then do the job and, you know, knock him out the fourth round. So it was and, great. And what, can you take, take us through the the journey of prepping for a fight because it's a big one. You got, how long were your camps before a fight? Yeah, for me, um, it took me well, – some people talk about eight and ten weeks, but me, uh, ending, I was I was ready in, in six weeks easily because I yeah. was always super fit. I never drank. I never done nothing wrong. Yeah. Like I said, I was in bed at 8.30 every night. I was up at 5 every morning, road work every morning, training every afternoon. And, yeah. and like today what we, we talk about how these guys do an extra session, they do this weight session or a strength session. I don't believe in that. Yeah. The greatest fighters in the world ran in the morning and they boxed in the afternoon. Where they never And, and, and that's never, what you did. I, I never got tired. These guys yeah. are doing all this so apparently doing all this extra work and they still get tired. They can't box <laughs> They can't box 10 rounds, 12 rounds, you know, where we box 15 with no, with no problem at all. Yeah, well, that's the crazy thing. I've, like I told you guys before, I've done two fights, only three rounds, little little charity fights. I almost died in the halfway through the second round. Like 15 rounds is just unbelievable. Like, can't 12 rounds is hard. How did you do – how do you do 15 rounds? Like it's um, – how does your body – okay, here's the question. When you get so tired mentally and physically, what is it that's keeping you moving forwards? Are you saying in your head just keep going, keep going? Or what, what's happening? What's going on? Who, who said I got tired mentally and physically? <laughs> okay, better I'd question. I've done the work. Like I said, there, 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 were times where, there were times where I'd think, wow, you know, this is – well, for instance, when you get hit and you get hurt, and you think, or oh, 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 you 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 get concussed for a quick second, and then you then you you think of the positive. Well, I've worked, I've I've been through this before. That's what you think of. You don't think, oh wow, I've just got hurt. Am I going to get no? The positive person says, "This has happened before. Let's get over it. Let's get, think, get our hands up, get composed, and let's, yeah, let's keep your eye on the yeah, prize. Yeah, keep your eye on again. the win. Yeah, you yeah. can't. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, and put negatives in your head. What's the famous Mike Tyson quote? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched Punch in, in the, the face. face. Yeah. Just, and, yeah. But the, the, I guess the, the trick what you're saying is that bad things are going to happen in life, but you've got to keep your eye on the prize, keep your eye on the win and and just kind of roll with it and well, keep you've going. You've got to realise you've got two guys here trying to fight for the ultimate prize, being the world champion. Of course he's going to punch me. Of course I'm going to punch him. Of course we're going to hurt each other. So we've got that. Of course there's going to be times where you might feel a little tired. You've got to – you go through that in your mental preparation. Mm. Of course you know that. And you say to yourself, what are you going to do when that happens? What are you going to do when that happens? You 
Think positive. You think I've done the work. I've done it. I've trained for fifteen rounds. I've did fifteen rounds before. I've I've run a hundred kilometers for this. I've sparred a hundred rounds. I'm I'm prepared. What do you mean? I'm not tired. I'm I'm good. And it's kind of. I mean, in terms of business, it's like well, I decided to start a business. I knew it was going to be hard. I wasn't expecting it to be easy. So when bad things happen, it's the same thing. Well, yeah, there's going to there's going to be some twelve hour days instead of eight hour days. We've got to yeah, we've got to acclimatize or we've got to get ready for it. Yeah, yeah but you got to know that pride to it. You got to know that you. Got to know that people out there in business, it's yeah, it's not all rosy. There's there's great times and there's there's terrible times. Look look what we're going through today. Yeah. I mean, the, the most atrocious times in my life. I I don't even remember anything like it. And um, hopefully, I'd like to think that um, my children will never go through it again. But um, the way the world is, it, it looks like this could be um, something that that will, will happen again and again. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to we've got to be prepared for it. We've got to know exactly what we have to do now, and we've got to again, whether it's getting vaccines or 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 getting the people to realise if this happens again, this is what we have to do to to control it. We social distancing. We've got to not go out. We, we we've got to be prepared for this now because, like I said, the world isn't getting better, mate. It's getting worse. Mm. And and can you walk us through the? You you mentioned you don't get tired because you're prepared. Do you get nervous? Did you get ah, nervous? If you're not nervous, you're not ready. If I, if I said to you, I'm going to go Love fight that. some guy and the guy's going to punch me and I'm not worried about it, then I'm going to get punched so, in without But when, without you thinking, get, you know? when, when are you nervous? While you're training, ah, in the, in, while you're waiting yeah. in the back room, while you're walking out, where, where is the peak of the nerve uh, happen? As yeah. a fighter, as a, a fighter on your level, I mean, you've fought on big, big stages. You, you, you've been with Mike Tyson cards and all sorts of things. So when you're sitting in the back room, you're waiting for your name to be called, what's that like? Oh, yeah, you're nervous, you know, you're, you're nervous days before. Of course, you, you know, start, you're getting close to the fight, you start thinking about it more than, you know, than, than normal. And then you're at the weigh-in and you, he's this other guy, you just made weight. And for me, making after weigh-in was, was the best feeling for me and my, my nerves kind of died for a little while because now all of a sudden I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm feeling great, I'm, I'm getting rehydrated again, I'm yeah. putting weight back on. So that makes you start feeling great. And then you're in the dressing room and you think, wow, uh, now I've got a do it. I got a, a massive job to do. This is this is what I've done it for. Of course you get nervous. Like I said, if I wasn't nervous then I don't believe I could, you could win a fight. And I've, I've had I've had fighters. I'm not you're not nervous. Well man, something's wrong with you, you know? Did you ever think, fuck, why am I doing this? This is you know, were you ever like uh, Damn, this is like what have I put my what's the situation I've put myself in? No, I always knew why I was doing it. I was doing because I loved it. I was doing because that that was what I was great at. So I was doing it because um, that, that was giving me the rewards for life. That that, that was setting me yeah. up. There was a family. reason yeah, for the pain. Yeah, yeah, reason yeah, for the of course, pain. Yeah, if there's no reason, then and uh, did the nerves ever chip away your confidence, or were you always so you were nervous, but uh, you were confident you're going to win uh, anyway? Oh, How? even even when I was def- after I got defeated, I. Um, I had that same mindset that I would go back in the ring on this day and that championship quality, that would come back. But in boxing, it's like I said, you're, in, you're an individual. Um, it's very, very hard to yeah, – it's different if you're playing footy and we lost this game but we're going to win tomorrow because, yeah, the other 12 guys are going to help. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not at my peak but if not at your peak in boxing, it's, you're and it's, yeah, especially if you're fighting the great fighters that I fought. And I know you're a um – you're a big planner, so you, you really like to strategize, make a plan and, and execute that. Um, and, and you mentioned you do that through life, but obviously especially through boxing. What ha, Can you explain to us how you would plan for a specific fighter? Um, because, I mean, a lot of business is obviously planning, setting a strategy, what are we trying to do, achieve and how are we going to do that? It's exactly the same thing in boxing 
how would you, let's say you're going to fight um, um, whomever, how would you look at that person and, and create a plan to, yeah. to beat, to attack? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because my trainer, who I loved, um, really, we never really had a plan for anybody. All my plan was that I was the greatest pressure fighter in the world. I was the fittest fighter in the world. Let's see if they can cope with it. So my game plan was this. I had to make them fight my fight. Mm-hmm. I had to take their tools away and bring them into a, a dirty fight where they had to throw more punches than they've ever thrown, you know, be as strong as they've ever been, do things they've ever done before. And if, Exhaust them. If, if I could get them to fight my fight, then – no one's better than you. Yeah, that's exactly that's that. Yeah, that's my that, fight. That's that, my hundred percent. Yeah. And that was that happened to me for like ninety five percent, ninety five percent of my career. But then um, when I got when a few of my strengths became weaknesses, like my my chin, which wasn't the same, which I couldn't absorb the punishment that I did, and a few other injuries. And um, yeah, I, um, although I still believed that I could do it, it just wasn't there. That's what I'm saying. That's when you know you're an individual sport. That um, when those tools evaporate a little or when they're not as good as they were, you're in trouble. And, and what about the business of boxing as a business? Because, I mean, it can be a dirty business. It can be a great business. What is the makeup? Who makes money? How do they make money? You've got a fighter. You've got the promotion company. You've got the stadium. You've got the managers. How- yeah, well, today boxing's completely different to what when I first started. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, you have boxers who really promote themselves today. Floyd Mayweather, if you see on Canelo Alvarez, you see Oscar yeah. Delgado, all these guys have their name you know, and we fought. It was just your promoter and uh, you went out there and fought. And your manager, and they, no? Yeah, and they gave you a purse and um, you just usually accepted it. You didn't – there was no questions asked. And today we have people like Barking Dog who, for instance, if I was going to fight tomorrow, the first thing they would do is they uh, would estimate the – um, Sale price, the, the revenue. How much the revenue in, in the in the venue? Estimate the revenue through sponsorship. Estimate yeah. the revenue through TV. Pay and and then we would go and yeah, you know, we'd know negotiate. We, yeah, back then they just offered your money. And that you was say, it. Yeah, right. that was it. Yeah, and go win my title. So the promoter back in the days usually made and so the money in the and, first and so got very little. A promoter like um, it was Don King a promoter? Yeah, of course he was. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and so why was he? Why is he considered? Super dirty in the sport of boxing is it because he would well, take all the money I'll and give leave an the boxes? So it's just really, really simple. That's a great question again because back in the day, and he says I made more millionaires than any other promoter ever, which is true. Mm-hmm. But in making those millionaires, those millionaires when they when he gave them a million or two million or five million or ten, million, mm. he was making a hundred million. <laughs> so <laughs> so what, I guess I, I've so stolen why, from all so millionaires. Why, why, I'm not sure about, but why are these fighters are <laughs> cranking and. Again, I, I don't blame them in some ways, but then if they had great management, which we didn't have back then and we didn't have people who did the revenue count and did the sponsorship count, they would have, you know. So what happened was back in the day, if somebody was getting 500000 Don King would say, listen, for instance, me, I was getting 100000 mm. My first fight up from him was – Which six, is a lot of money too. Well, back then it was a lot of money, yeah. but still when you – if you put the revenue together and the sponsorship together yeah. and see what – but from a kid from Marrickville back then, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, but we got to, it sounds great, but you've got to forget about being a kid from Marrickville. We've got to forget about let's try and, 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 and put it on a, on a fair scale. If somebody else is making five million or two million, you're giving, they're giving you 100,000. To me, that's. And you're the and one. I'm the, the one. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, not just a risk. I'm the one bringing it, put the. So that, that happened. But what Don King done was the same. You know, he, would, he would give somebody more than they ever got. Mm. And then 
10 years later, wow, in that fight where he gave me $2 million, although I was only getting 400000 before that, he made $20 million, so they're all cranky. They can't yeah. get cranky at that. Yeah. That's, that was what happened. That's, that's what happened, And, yeah. I mean, on that topic then of, of helping professional athletes, because often just because you're a professional athlete doesn't mean you're a professional business person. 100%. Right? And, and there's a lot of, unfortunately, in business, people are going to take advantage, but they're going to get what they can. And what... I guess there's two kind of sides. Is well, protecting the athletes during the course of their career, which I think is happening now to an extent. They have better management. They've got better representation. Definitely so. Definitely so. But what about after their career? Well, that's the most important thing now, and especially with um, the, uh, the the voice of brain damage and seeing people super depressed after their sport because they don't know what to do after their sport. Mm. We need people. We need people like the, the management team, Barking Dog, who – don't just manage your your career. They manage your life, and mm. they they set up your life after sport. Yeah, and that's what we need. We need we need managers who, of course, going to get their percentage, but want to make sure that long term you're taking yeah. care. Like, of it. I'll give an example: Brock Jarvis. I mean, um, he's done nothing really in the sport at the moment. He's had seventeen fights, seventeen wins, fifteen knockouts, doing great. He already has a property thanks to yourself, of course, me and and his team who sponsor him and hopefully um, he'll have he'll have many more in the next yeah. in, 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 in before he does anything so before he does anything if something uh, for say or for soon happens to him that he's already set up after boxing if he can't box again of course he'll be capable of working but through that boxing career and through having good, a good team around him that he's already yeah he's got something that kids have to work for the, all their lives the or they can't have it. it yeah it'd be amazing if someone started a company that just specialized in the management of the wealth of, of – I mean, I'm sure it exists. But yeah, it managing exists. the wealth there, there, of, there are, of sports yeah. There are certain people out there, but like I said, um, um, in boxing, if you, if you go through the history of the sport and see these guys who had 10, 20, 30, 50, they've got nothing today. Like Mike Tyson went from – 300 million to zero. Vander Holyfield, mm. same. Yeah. You know, there's so many of them that, that, yeah. that are the and, – um, wow. You've met Mike, yeah? Oh, try, I was his trainer. I'm his best friend, yeah? Oh, oh, what? How, how can you – how can you spend three hundred and fifty million dollars? Well, I've been around him when he spent it, so I know how. But like, <laughs> wow, there's a way. But what I'm saying is, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have somebody like Paul, who's beside me, and say, "Listen, listen, if we buy that block of units before you spend that money, for the rest of your life, you're going to get twenty five thousand a week rent." So yeah, I mean yeah, and that's yeah. what we need. We need those people around, and um, they weren't back then. And there are there are plenty of people More around that there. There are many more people that are um that are trying to do those things today but look like i said there's more important things that, for me than than just looking after the money it's, I, I honestly Friends. believe that we, we now we got to look after their health because i said um I, I i've donated my brain to to the brain institute when i um when i die and i'm not sure they're going to find anything in there but um <laughs> i've done that for a reason because i want uh to people to be aware that Fighters, football players, and stuff after um, their sport, and they've got nothing left to do. They get depressed and they do things. Look at the, yeah. you know, look at it. I mean, it's 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 rife all around the world how certain athletes and sporting people just can't cope with life after their sports over. And that's what we need. We need a a great organisation to mental health be there to sit there and talk to them and talk them through this and to make sure that yeah that. They can help their families because, like I said, um, I've done things that I think to myself, "Wow, would I've done that if I could have thought of the the the, the pain and anguish I've put my family through?" No, I wouldn't have, but I didn't think of it at the time. So we need to we need to make people 
constantly aware of that of where we're um, we're accountable for our actions and we're accountable for things after because like I said um there are, there are a lot of people out there today that um uh, with no money that their family looking after them because of the, their injuries and brain injuries through sport that that really need help and need support mm. and yeah that's, that's everyone thinks about the financial toll that, that they go through but no one thinks about the, the mental toll yeah. and, and the health damage a lot of people think wow wow he's earned three million dollars and, and good luck to him because he deserved it because he's a great athlete mm. but um, and he worked hard well yeah super hard and he got he got punished but mm. i mean um, do they that three million dollars can never oh ten million dollars can never um you know it doesn't last yeah and not just that but it can never um can't get, for, you can't get your health yeah, back yeah, for your health you know yeah. like, like i said once you once you're dead, or once you're in, there's there's, there's there's nothing you can change. One, I've, I've been in the hospital, I've been near near dead, and thought about things while I was in there, thinking, "Wow, um, you know, I've, I've got this. That's not not done. This is not completed. What would have happened if I died?" Um, and how did I, that? How did that change that that near death experience? How did that change? Di- did it? Sorry, change your view on life and oh, your aspect? Def- on, definitely and how? so. I mean, like I said, I've got. I'm owed lots of money from certain people and um, lots of money. And I'm thinking, what would have happened if they're not going to go? I've, here was me being the most generous person in the world, helping these guys in the drastic situation. They're not going to go and give my my family. wife and their, my, their family their money back. They, they most probably, they almost, and I say this about any hesitation, they're mostly hoping I died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a great friend of mine who, who who died in similar circumstances and I knew so many people owed him money with them. And that was probably at that church, at, at the hospital, thinking, "Wow, if he dies, I'm gonna five hundred thousand dollars that I have to give back." And I mean, it's really, like I said, we live in a in a pretty sad, sad world when it when it comes to that stuff. And like I said, I'm I'm just blessed now to be here, and hopefully, like I said, I can keep passing this beautiful message on through people like you and your podcast and, you. and your story. And people are gonna learn; they're gonna get stronger and get more educated. But we need listen. Education doesn't just start like like this podcast. They when when somebody listens, they say, "Wow." Jeez, you're Felix down the great way when it's so and so, so and so. But listen, this has to you this has to be a weekly thing that you remind people because out of sight, out of mind. And if you if you aren't constantly reminded, you forget things. And um, you know, eh, we just need to be constantly reminded there are there are certain standards and things that we need to 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 live up to and to, to make it a better place. There's healthy ways to look at life. Definitely so. And and the your experience, did that make you want to share that message more? Yeah, definitely so. It made me want to share my message more and made me, um, you know, more determined to hurry up and get what I'm owed and um, I'll, I'll, I will never loan money again in my life. You know, mm-hmm. I will never um, do some of the stupid things yep. that I've done. You know, I've loaned money to people who are now dead so I can never get my money back. I've loaned money to people who um, are broke. I'll never get my money back. And, um, look, I'm, I'm happy I tried to help them but, I mean, yeah. If you're going to give with your money, you should – I mean, perhaps give to your family or, or, or strictly well, those that are strictly. If, I gave it to, if I gave them my family, my family would be all living in a better place. But like I said, you know, everything happens for a reason. You learn from it and, mm. and, and here you are my lessons on. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that, yeah. that's, that's maybe what, what God put me on this earth for, to, yeah. to, to be a person that will, will pass messages on. And, you, and you, well, he, I mean, you've been blessed with such a huge uh, life of lessons. Yeah, oh, there's not many people. So. In the, there's not many people lived have had the lessons uh, you've had. And like I said, I do say one thing. If I did pass last October, well, what a life I've had! Like, yeah, what an amazing life I've yeah. had. So I, yeah. I couldn't complain about anything. Isn't that beautiful to think? I gave life such a big shot, such a big swing, such a big try, such a big effort that if I were to go, I would feel mm. like I gave it my all. Ah, oh, well, I don't. Yeah. Well, I, 
I certainly lived it up. I've, I've, <laughs> there's nothing that there's nothing that I could say that I would that I would love to have done. I've done everything I've wanted to do. This is incredible. And hopefully, given my friends and that are with me a, a great ride and a great time being with me because that's one of my my great beliefs, Sam. If I drink good wine, my friends drink good wine. If I yeah. drink good scotch, my friend. If I'm going to have good food, in my we can all share that together. Yeah, yeah. And and can you tell us about uh, what it was like being with Mike as well? What, what's his mental state like? Is he was he was it similar to you? Was it winning tough? Was it what, what was it? What was I know, we're very very similar. We um, we were brought up with nothing, and we met amazing yeah. men. Um, he met Customato. I met Johnny Lewis. Yeah, um, you know. Um, the sad thing for Mike was that Cuss wasn't around, and when he really when he won when he when he hit it big, and mm. Cuss always knew that would happen. And um, Johnny was with me for the whole time, and um, for me, and I say this going, yeah, um, I kind of feel very, very betrayed by the person that I yeah. gave my life to. Yeah, and, you did. Um, you did. Yeah, yeah, I gave, yeah. I gave my life to him. I gave everything. My, my whole life was um, because you entrust them with everything. Oh, yeah. with your and being. I kind of, like I said um, today, when I when I think of it, um, yeah, it makes me pretty upset. I'm, I, I've cried lots of times on my own, but now I've got no more. I got no more tears to cry about that mm-hmm. stuff because I I've learned a lesson. I'm, I'm a such a much stronger person that I I know that if um, I'm going to give people advice and stuff, I'm going to stick by my word. And I'm gonna, I'm going to be that person. But like I said, everything, everything in life happens for yeah. a reason. And it, again, it taught me something really really special that. He's a person who I gave more to than anybody in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I gave more of everything, more love, more trust. Forget finance because that doesn't mean anything to me. But I gave him everything and in return I got nothing back, yeah. nothing back. Yeah. And, I mean, when you dedicate your, your, yourself. Oh, well, sorry, I lied. I did get something back. I got, a lesson. I, I got the person I am today I am because of that man. Yeah. So I did get something very special. The person I am. Yeah. Is, but he betrayed me on all the on all the. Everything that he taught me. When you dedicate your something so so wholly as you did, I mean, it's going to give you the highest highs, but it also that it's going to give you the lowest lows. Oh, it, there's a balance. Without doubt, like I said, um, what was your highest high? What was oh, the best time you were like, shit, this is mad. I love this. What was the greatest moment of your of your career? You were just ecstatic. You know what? I mean, I, when I think of what the greatest thing that happened to me now was, without any doubt was marrying my beautiful wife and having mm-hmm. my beautiful children mm-hmm. because they're with me unconditionally. Through it all. They've gone through it when people say, oh, your dad's this, he's done that, he's an arsehole, he's whatever, he's done, you know. And um, they've cried through it with me and cried without me and I know that I've, that I've hurt them. So without doubt, that's, you know, I've had amazing highs in sport and meeting people but none of that really compares to um, – because I, I say this now, when I was a young guy I used to have this – crazy saying was how can anybody say that their wife is their best friend that's a girl my best friend's my brother he's my, my, yeah. my best friend in the world is my wife mm-hmm. there's nobody closer nobody that i would trust you know more than my wife today um because i know that she's been through the shit with me she's been through the highest of highs the lowest of lows and guess what she's still with me you know what mm-hmm. there's a i just was hearing the saying today that there's going to be a million things that we we go through your wife and a million shit things that I put her through, but she always remembers the one good thing. That's why she's with me. You know, I honestly believe that there, yeah, because yeah. there's there must be one great thing that I that I give her or do because we're, she's there. We're, yeah, we're we're, we're still she's together, there. mate. You know. And your greatest, I guess, win in boxing, or what was the thing, one you're most proud of? 
Yeah, look, uh, winning, uh, winning my first world title, you, you, but winning my third world title with with one hand and fighting the, yeah. the guy that I fought and having uh, that that record as yeah, well. Yeah, I always yeah. Well, I didn't even think about no, you know, okay. records. I didn't even think about records, but I just um just doing that was was great for me. And then um, what does it make you want to do? Do you want to jump or like are you losing uh, your mind? Well, what, are you, what are you thinking in your head? Are well, you the, the first world title? I just collapsed on the floor. The, the second and third one, of course, I was jumping up and down. And uh, but do like you look I said, for your family or do you look for people? Of course, or, I know, yeah. yeah, you know. You know, as I walk in the ring, I always look at my mum and so and so, and uh, you know, and then one of the great things that happened: my dad never seen me lose a fight. My dad, which was great, um, you know, my dad was a real fighter. That's incredible. And, uh, yeah, but like I said, um, to be honest, like I said, um, the greatest thing that's happened to me is that I was given a an amazing talent and a dream that. I can now share with people. That's what I love the most. I'm able to sit down and, yeah, I'm, I'm easy. I can tell people the mistakes I made and I can live with that. Um, but I can also tell them, you know, not to make those mistakes and, and try to be different. Like I said, just the other day some dickhead on Facebook wrote something to me and um, – He wouldn't have written it to you in person. hundred percent. Like, yeah. And, <laughs> and me, I've got to let you know something. I've got to let you know something. For me, I'm black and white. If somebody in the street says something to me, I'm going to say something straight back to them. I don't mm. care what they say. And this guy said something to me about some bullshit. So I wrote something back to him about his mother. <laughs> and he wrote me, oh, look what Jeff Fennick wrote about my mother. Well, fucking don't say anything about yeah. me. I've got nothing to say about your mother. You, exactly right. you, 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 I you, agree with you, that. You fed, no, you fed the lion. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I am. I'm a lion. I'm, a, yeah. I'm the king of the jungle, brother. Yeah. You fed me. It don't yeah. poke the lion yeah. if you yeah, don't yeah. want to get bit. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, so shut – excuse me, I don't, I got it because I don't swear. But shut the fuck up. Yeah. You don't want me to say anything about your mother. Don't say anything about me and no one say anything. Yeah. I, got nothing, I don't even know you, you know. Why are you even writing and, to me? I don't know. And, and yeah. let me know if you ever listen to this podcast. If it hurts you that much, my address is 5 Norman Street, 5. Just come and visit me and tell me I'm, I'm more happy <laughs> well i think the world needs more of that people need to be less stupid yeah, no, they online. need to be remote, yeah. not just online i mean listen you know, terrific man i made a mistake you know if the world knows i made a mistake whatever see you have to rub it in it's like yeah. 15 years later whatever rub you rub it in I, yeah 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 the sad part is people get joy out of Putting well, somebody pe- else down. People you know? didn't accomplish it's enough in right. their lives, so they go to pick on someone who did accomplish yeah, it's something. It's not just that, but like I said, and maybe I shouldn't have said it, but like I said, um, for me at that time, that's that's how I felt. You yeah. know, there's and I and I tell people this: I'm, I'm the greatest advocate of saying, "Listen, just give yourself a minute, and, <laughs> and you'll be all right." Think of it. Well, I didn't give myself a second. As soon as you ran, I just put on that. I I became the keyboard the keyboard warrior that he was, and I and I and I I. I, I well, I reply. Well, well. But listen, I'm not just a keyboard warrior. Like I said, he can have my phone number, he can have my address, mm. and he can come and see me anytime. And uh, before we wrap up, do you guys, um, I mean, would you like to uh, mention um, uh, more about the podcast and, and what you're doing, what it's called, how people can find it, and what the plan is? And would you like to mention oh, Brock at all? No, no, of course. I, I, yeah. I've everybody support little Brock Jarvis. I think that um, he's. If for the listeners, when you introduce who Brock is and what he's doing, yeah, Brock's a, my young boxer who I train, who's at seventeen fights, seventeen wins, fifteen knockouts, who's the IBF uh, youth um, junior featherweight champion, who's got an amazing future. But like I said, um, we just done a story on Brock the other day, and this is what I tell people about young Brock Jarvis: we all go to bed and we have dreams. Brock Jarvis wakes up in the morning, goes and chases his dream. Mm-hmm. That's what I've taught him. That's that's my message to people. We all have dreams. I love that. If you want that dream to become reality, go out there and do the work to make that dream come true. That's what I want to leave you with that. With that, and that, that's 
I hope you enjoy listening to Jeff Fennick. Thank you very much for the opportunity. No, I love that. And do you want to give the podcast a highlight so yeah, our yeah, listeners sure, sure. know where so to just, find it? We've just started a podcast called Standing Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, released our first episode last week, and it's all about Jeff Fennick's story um, and what it takes to be a good champion. And, and, and people can, with Mike Tyson and, and whatnot. It's on um, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Our first guest this week. I'm going to do my first interview doing. Running the podcast with Paul is going to be Kyle Sanderlands. So we're going to have plenty to talk about, about his diet and so on <laughs> and why he thinks he's so tough. But the other thing, then we're going to – John Ibrahim's going to be my next guest. John was going to be my guest this week, but we changed it around. But I'm going to have some very, very interesting people. I'm going to have Mick Gatto. I'm going to have um, Graham Abbo Henry, who's a notorious um, – one of the hardest men they've walked the streets and still to this day. And we're going to have, yeah, then we're going to do all the, the sporting heroes and Peter Sterling, who's one of my heroes, Wayne Pierce, Joey Johns and those Morning. guys. So it's, yeah, yeah. Shane Warren. it's going to be an amazing journey for me to, yeah, to share stories with these other great athletes. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of fun. I love that. And you, I guess your message, your final message to the listeners was wake up every day and chase your dream. Yeah, don't don't just have a dream. If you want your dream to come true, you've got to go out and work and, and make it make it become a reality. I love it. Let's finish there. Thank you both so much. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel, for having us.